You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 3. We're going to, we're about a minute early, but... uh, I think it'll be all right. Thank you, Parker. Hi, Judy. I don't know if Danny has all those meetings in Brownwood or if he just wants to eat at Underwood's. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure Chad is as impressed with Underwoods as Danny is. So. <laughs> yeah. It used to be in Lubbock a remarkable place to eat. Man, just loved to eat at Underwoods. Hi, Donna. James chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, even though we have already talked through, (coughs) excuse me, verses 1 through 8, but I'm going to read through all of those and then on into what we're going to look at tonight. My brethren, be not many masters, or he's saying don't be teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. I don't know what that necessarily means on a larger scale, and, but I do seem to think I could say from that, for, for those of us who are teaching, those of us who, who stand in the pulpits and do those kind of things or in classes and teach, that we, we need to be ready and we need to be willing If the Holy Spirit reveals something challenging, we need to be willing to reveal what he said. Because the word of God can't always be couched to make it it milk when it's really meat. And sometimes meat, we we put meat in somebody's mouth and they have to chew on it a while and sometimes they don't like it at all, but we can't. We can't puree everything and try to make it acceptable. The reality is some of the things of God, by the nature of the truth of them, is going to come against things we've already heard. So we can't be bothered in teaching. We can't be bothered in ministry. If some of those things that we teach, say, or share might offend somebody. And I think we work very hard anymore not to do that, and I, which is probably appropriate. But it says, for in many things we offend all. If any man defend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. We talked a lot about that, about what the perfect man is. And I, I truly believe that it's one that is indwelt by the Spirit of God because that's the only way perfection comes. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. And we turn about, other, we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, 
which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor lists. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a word of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therefore we curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a man send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Okay, again, James is very good at telling us and making the point that he wants us to hear. He's talking about, almost exclusively in this chapter, the power of what our tongues can do. He talks and he gives such powerful warnings about the destruction in in verse 8 when he says, but the tongue can no man tame. So who has to tame it? It has to be the Holy Spirit. No man, we, we would like to say, I can control my tongue. So we would say, okay, I'm just not gonna say anything. Is that controlling your tongue? No, because if you're, what if you're supposed to speak? And you just refuse to speak because, well, I can tame it. I just won't say anything at all. No, you still don't have your tongue tamed because it's not doing then what it's supposed to do. So silence isn't an indication of a tamed tongue. So there's only one way, one way that really can do that. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And I know that, uh, that each one of us here in some version have been the recipients of that, of that poison. So he begins, where we start tonight in verse 9, we're we're in James 3, uh, in verse 9. Therewith, by our tongue, bless we God, even the Father. So out of of one part of our mouth, we're talking about the glory of God. Out of one part of our mouth, we're talking about his majesty. We're talking about his salvation. We're talking about his power. We're talking about his love. We're talking about the fulfillment of all that he's done. He says, therewith, blessed we God, even the Father, and therewith, curse we men, 
which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now, I want to talk about why. I want to, I want to talk about this on a little bit larger scale. It's to, instead of just hearing a rule that says you, you should not be talking about God and the glory of God when you're going to be talking about and running men down for any reason because out of your mouth is passing blessing and cursing, and then he goes into this long dissertation that says, but, but that can't happen. You can't have a fountain that's producing fresh water and salt water. You can't have this division. So if you're trying to say that I'm speaking of God in one good sense and I'm speaking of man in an evil one and running somebody down, what does he already have told us in the book of James? That that you're doing has now contaminated the whole thing because you're not ever really... It's going to be very difficult in a, in, a, in a fountain that's producing salt water. How much fresh water are you going to be able to mix with it to ever get that salt water pure? You can't do it. You can dilute it, but you still got salt water at the end. So I don't care how much I say about God and how much praise I offer. If I'm still going to run down somebody, if I'm going to speak evilly of someone, and destroy them with that poison, then I just poisoned the whole thing. James has already done a very good job of talking about this in chapter 2. That, that you're not, if you're, you can't just say, I'm going to just break one law. Because the law isn't 10 individual things, or 12 individual things, or 613 individual things. When you break the law, because they're not singled out, they're not in categories, you break one, you break the whole thing, which reflects the heart of God. We went through that a few weeks ago. But there's something here that we have to recognize. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Also, in, this is the same thought in Romans 6. It's the same thought in Galatians, in Galatians 2. But it says specifically in verse 11, Romans 6, verse 11, judge no man, consider no man according to the flesh. <clears throat> now, we're terrible, terribly ineffective at both grasping that and doing that. Because we have such a tendency to very quickly make assessments, make judgments, evaluate somebody's behavior, look at the poor things that they have done. But let's just, let's just go to Romans 6 for just a second. I, I, I speak on this passage uh, a lot and have, have even increased more recently. But here's, here's the main reason that we need to make sure that we don't have those discussions about individuals. It's found, again, very thoroughly in, in Romans 6. I'm just going to begin in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, again, we, we have to come to this, to this significant understanding. And we've, talked about, we've been talking about this a lot over the, over the last few days. Why would I talk about Lorenda and about anything that I see her do when God has, by the very nature of her as a follower of God, determined that all I would judge is already dead. If I saw her doing something, if I saw her in the middle of some sin, if I if it caught her specifically and just heard her, she, she stole, she lied, she did something. And I make an assessment of her according to that. Now, the, the, the world will do that quite readily and quite easily. But you and I as believers... If I look at her and consider her to be a thief, consider her to be a liar, I am doing that against the recognition that that aspect of her life is dead. And this is hard for us. This is hard for us because what does it say as, as a believer? What does it say here? What is, if, if again, if I list these things that Lorenda has done and I, and I say, okay, what category, what, what, what name am I going to put on the category up here? We, we want to put the category, well, that's all sin. That's against God. But what is this saying that has already happened to sin? Well, let me read it again. I think it's what it says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. So... This old man of sin, this old body of sin, this block of sin is already in this category of dead. So if I'm going to address her and I'm going to address her by those things that are already dead, what's the chance that I'm going to actually say something that is in agreement with God? This is a bit, this, you got to, Think through this. This has got to make some sense. Got to connect. What, if, if there were a corpse laying here, what good would it do for me to start accusing a corpse? Not only would you think it's strange, you would think it a bit inappropriate. Well, do, you know, the question in lies, do I, do I really believe what's being said here? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
When Jesus died on the cross, we were there dying with him. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So if I'm going to speak to her, I speak to her according to that which God sees. I speak to her according to that which God has established. I speak to her not as one dead, but I speak to her as one alive. So instead of saying to her, Lorinda, I wish you hadn't stolen something and really shine the light on the fact that you stole something, I would say to you, Lorinda, you missed an opportunity to walk in integrity. You missed an opportunity to walk in truth. Now, can you see any margin of difference? Because one builds that which God is asking us to walk in, that which is the newness of life that's just mentioned here. And, he's, and, we're, and we're addressing one another and encouraging one another, but the tendency is to bring the spotlight over the sin and talk to them about the sin. And God's saying, why are you shining a spotlight on something that is already dead? Again, As slaves, if you approach it in the positive of saying, hey, here's the freedom, then I think it does give them a, a, like a, a mental shift of, oh, yeah, I don't have to be a slave to this. That's right. It's not, but there's so many ways that we still allow ourselves to be slaves. Like, we are acting as dead. Yeah. Because we're slaves. Yeah, and, and until, until we're brought to this awareness that there is this exchange for everything that there is over here in this category of sin, there has been something offered in its place. There is, a, there is an exchange. There is a way. But we, we, were, we, we were trained in sin management. I was. I was trained. This is what good Christians do. This is what good Christians avoid. So our life measure was how well am I doing the things I'm supposed to be and how well am I avoiding. And no one really talked to me about how to walk in this newness of life. As a matter of fact, when you say that phrase, most Christians who've been Christians any time at all are still having this blank look of what does that look like? Well, just to, again, just imagine if you're, if, if, if you're, you're, send, you're fixing to send one of your kids into, into a room and the room is totally dark. You can see, the door is open and you can see just a little way in there because of the light that's coming from outside into this room. But there's no light in there. How are you going to tell that child to proceed? Cautiously, slowly, looking for what? Obstacles, looking for things that could harm you looking for things that could be in your way, looking for things that you could bump your head on, looking for things you could bump your shin on. Move slowly. Take real, real small steps. Even if I were to say, and I'm going to give you a flashlight, but you know, it's a little pen light, maybe that'll help you some. It would help you a little bit. Well, or you, 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 sit, you tell your child, or we can go in this door over here and it's light and it's bright and you can see everything. How much instruction are you going to have to give them to, to, to go into that room? Well, not a whole lot. Because, because it's going to be very natural to move quickly with great pleasure 
and, and fun in that room where everything else is cautious. So we start talking to them about monitoring and living and, you know, living in anxiety, living in stress, living in pressure, living in difficulty, living in those addictions, living in those struggles, living in the brokenness. And, we're, and we train our kids by, by talking about sin, having such a sin awareness within the church. We talk to them about, okay, move slowly. You do this, you don't do this, but, you ha- but you have, you, your mind is always on the obstacle. Your mind is always on the potential of messing up. And God is saying, but I paid for newness of life. Again, so over here where there was where there's anxiety, again, what is the exchange? What do we get to walk in from last night? What do we get to walk in? Peace that passes understanding. Over here, I walk in sorrow. And it's crippling sorrow. What did he get, give over here? As the exchange, he gave hope. I can walk over here in fear. But what did he give us in exchange? First John 1. Perfect love. Because what does it do? It casts out fear. Everything that could, you could possibly list on this side, that if I start talking to someone about their sin and, draw, and put the spotlight over it and say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You need, to, you need to do better than that. Which is what we have typically thought has been our responsibility. Draw attention to somebody's sin. Talk to them about it. Encourage them not to do it. That's not what good Christians do. What, you know, what are you doing to the image of God? How are you hurting your family? How are you hurting yourself? Don't do the things that you're doing. That's been our focus. And it's made us all very hesitant to go out and even try to say something to somebody because we don't want to judge them. So we don't say anything at all. Just leave them in it. Instead of being able to say, in this moment of anxiety, I come to God and say, God, you gave me an opportunity to walk in peace and I missed it. And he says, yeah, I know I saw that. Let me give you another chance to walk in peace. Or we walk in hope. Or we walk in the goodness of God. Or we walk in the love of God. We, work, we walk in that perfect love of God. And I want to speak to someone. When, when, when James is talking about this, I want to I speak to someone. Not according to the flesh. Let's keep reading. Uh, Mm-hmm. That it, it, it said a lie cannot exist without truth. And so all this negative behavior, there has to be something good for yep. this negative. So in order for this to be bad, it's like dark. It's like evil is the absence of a reality. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of apply to that? Because with all the negative... It's got to be what God has. Sure. And, and the, I think the quickest, simplest illustration that comes to my mind is that there's, there's no such thing as darkness. Yeah. There is an absence of light. Light has all the power. Light has all the authority. There would be, the, but there is no darkness if there is no light. 
there is no light if there is no darkness. So yeah, it's very much that way. As long as we understand that, that those things of God are really the light. You can put darkness in this left-hand category over here. We walk in it, but God says, I gave you an exchange. You can walk in the light. So yeah, it's, it, it's very much that way. Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, we try to manage the darkness. And that's one of those things that Graham Cook said, God will not help you manage the darkness. He will not help you manage your negativity. And that's like, wow. Well, I thought that... like evil is a witness to the reality. Mm-hmm. It's a hostile witness, but it, it's a witness. Oh, yeah, and it... It sees it and is terrified by it. That's, I wish we'd finally get that. Yeah, Donna. Um, many years ago now, <coughs> we're talking about light and dark and how the difference between light and dark is like a light switch. Mm -hmm. You can turn it on, you can turn it off. So, you know, when in the dark, just, you know, kind of like you were talking about hitting the button. Yeah. Turn on the light. Yeah, and in the, in the darkness has to flee. It doesn't have an option. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So why in the world would I want to address Lorinda in her sin? Because all I would be talking about that which is already dead. This is conceptually so far different than the way I was raised. But when I hear it, there's something that just ministers inside me because I would really like in any moment when I see somebody doing something, instead of creating that huge focus on, on, the, on the wrong, to be able to talk to them about the exchange that God's already paid for. Everything in this newness of life isn't something that we have to wonder about. It's something he's already bought and paid for. And at any moment, I had a situation last night dealing with a young man he called me. He had to leave. He had to leave his house, just under stress, under anxiety. And so, he was away from the house. I said, "I need you to go home." So, he got home, and I said, "I need, I need for you. I need everything I need to say. I need for you to know works in the place you dread being the most. I want it to be the worst it can possibly be." And I started talking to him about this exchange. You have it that right here in this moment. Peace that passes understanding. That's that's so available. I said, I said, how can you see? Can you see this anxiety? Is it something that you can visually see? No. But you believe it's there. Yes. Do you believe that God has given you a gift of peace that passes understanding? Can you see it? No. Do you, do you believe it's real? It's just as real as the anxiety is that he gave it to you as a gift in this newness of life? Yes. So, so if you understand that much, you, now you know you got a choice. You got a choice. You can walk in the, in, in the, in the fear or you can walk in the perfect love. Can you see the fear? No. Can you see this perfect love? No. Do you trust that they are both equally real? Yes, then it gives you a choice. Well, I don't know how to walk in perfect love. I don't, who taught you how to work in fear, walk in fear? I said, it is a, it is a choice. When you, 
This is, this is again, conceptually challenging. But there's kind of any, any place, any time that we can actually, not through mind control, but by actually accepting a gift that's given, I, I, can, I can dynamically change a moment when I know that I'm perfectly loved. Yeah, to be able to go to that person instead of saying, saw what, you, saw what you've been doing, you need to stop it. To go to them and say, I'd like to tell you what God sees when he sees you. You are a gentleman. Yeah, a gentleman. That when I see you, I see integrity. When I see you, I see honor. I see such courage because that's what God lets me see when I see you. And, we, and you have an opportunity right here to walk in that integrity, walk in that courage, walk in that strength. I want to tell you, it has such a different heart from God to me in that, especially if we'll give ourselves license to recognize that, that the body of sin is dead. It doesn't have to be managed. It doesn't have to be coerced. And it's like, but man, that's been such an effective tool for so long to, to manipulate and to create pressure and to tell our kids, this is the stuff you need to be doing. This is the stuff you need to avoid. Well, the Bible says that's the elementary things to tell them the difference between good and bad. That's what we expect to do when a kid's in kindergarten. Oh, you don't do that. You do this. We expect to talk to them according to Galatians 4 about the basic elements, the elementary things but not in maturity. In maturity, we're not talking to them about the good and bad of things because I now can talk to you not about behavioral things. I can actually tell you about the life that you get to walk in and the witness that, and the witness that you become. I want to finish in Romans 6 and then we'll move on. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead. Reckon it. It's an accounting term. Reckon it. That, that you also yourselves be dead uh, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that through is a powerful word. How, how do we then, uh, but alive unto God? What's the means by which we get to be alive unto God? Oh, I know, it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. He becomes the vessel. He becomes the means by which we get to live unto God. It's Him in us. It's His life. The newness of life is Him. So when I speak to Lorinda about, about what has been seen, I speak to Lorinda about what has been done, it, it has a redemptive tone. It has a renewing tone. It has a transforming tone but it doesn't have the harshness and the judgment of the error because why would I draw attention? Again, just keep in your mind that's that example that was used. Why would I ever? I, I've, got, I've got some, some, some friends. That, the one that really was participating in this has passed away since, but uh, he lived on a ranch and uh, he would, 
from time to time, people would feel like it was necessary to dump their trash in his bar ditches on this ranch. And he was kind enough, because he knew that they wouldn't have dropped it out there intentionally. He would go through that, see if he could find an envelope, any kind of an identification, and he would mail that trash back to them via UPS or something like that. But other than that exception, when would we ever think it a wise thing to bring somebody's trash back to them? We just don't even think in those terms. So that which God hauled off in Lorinda, why would God ever say, okay, Randy, I want to give you permission to bring it back and dump it in her lap? He's just not going to. And then, and then uh, likewise, reckon you unto yourself dead. And when, if, if we went to 2 Corinthians 5, it would tell us to judge no man according to the flesh. So when I mix that with James, and we, and we go back to James. Let's go back there just for, for a few minutes. Go back to James chapter 3. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Because if I see God... And, can, and speak of his goodness, what will happen by the very nature of his goodness that I'm recognizing when that goodness belongs to me, I, I say it does, what will the river by its nature do? It will pass the goodness on from God to me, to somebody else, so the words that I speak to this person are going to sound exactly like God. That's right. Yeah, it's going to build. It's going to encourage. It's not going to be dismissed. It's not going to, it's not going to find purpose. So if I reverse the process, and this is really where we need to pay attention, if I reverse the process and I'm condemning somebody, judging someone over something that I see that's going on, what that's really revealing is that I don't understand the heart of God. I can't create in the middle here a disconnect. This is what James is saying. I can't speak of good, and then in the middle, that good turned that turn to evil. He's already telling us that can't happen. You're not going to have a fig tree that's producing this and something else producing fig, figs. You can't have that. So we can't, out of one, one part of our heart, say, okay, I understand the goodness of God, and I'm praising God for that, and immediately turn and, 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 and tear at the heart of a brother or sister in Christ or anyone. Can't do it. Because if I do, what I've only really done is expose what my heart about God really is. Because James is saying you can't have both. But don't we think we have? Don't we think most of us as believers, don't we think that we can absolutely love God, praise God, you know, go through all the motions of it, Acknowledge God for all of his goodness. And we come to those stories when Jesus is speaking for the man that, he, that was forgiven so much by the king. 
And then this man wouldn't forgive the little bit that was owed him. What was the answer ultimately of the king? If you can't forgive a little. This isn't a rule. He's saying, by the nature of forgiveness I gave you, what should happen to that forgiveness I gave you? In such abundance. It should have flowed. It should have flowed over. It should have run over into the life of this person. So he's saying, because, because of what I gave you, because it didn't overflow into the life of this one who owed you so little, then you don't understand the forgiveness that I gave you. You will never live forgiven. For Even though I've forgiven you much, you will not live in the freedom of that forgiveness if that freedom of forgiveness didn't spill over into the person because it's like you did not understand forgiveness if by the very nature of it, it didn't extend to somebody else. And thank goodness he didn't publicly speak that out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I have a question. You know, like in the scripture where it says, if you have all with any man, go to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you can't, if things don't work out, you take someone. Sure. Uh, but like even in families, you know, you can go to family and, you know, try to work it out. And I've always taken that to mean if, if that person is not willing to work it out, then you take someone you know, who is uh, impartial to maybe help you work it out together to where both of you understand a little bit better about where each one is coming from Mm -hmm. um, to where it's not a, you know, because you want to go in love and say, you know, I care about this relationship. You know, I care about you and I want to work this out. So let's work this out. And if they, you know, say no, you, I, you know, you really can't imagine somebody saying that if you're, but some will. Yeah. And so a third party, you know, kind of helps you work that out. And sometimes even then it won't work. So what's your question? I'm, no, I think I missed your question. That's what my understanding of that scripture is. It is. And, and as Karen was saying, she was using that scripture as well just a minute ago. But the, the difference is I can go and say, if I go describing my understanding of the problem, there's probably going to be an indictment in the thing I said and the tongue's going to hurt and destroy and create poison. Well, not if you go and say, I care about this relationship. No, you're still going to do it. I care about you. Still going to do it. Let's just it's, talk about this. It's about the relationship, not the problem. One second. It's about, I can go to somebody and say, I really care about this relationship, but, but you're stealing from me. Well, no, I wasn't talking. I'm saying, but you can go saying, I love you and I care about this relationship and I, but I, and I, can, I can put an indictment even in that statement. Well, you could, but I'm talking about that's not the purpose, right? Well, I don't know. But that's, that's generally the way we do it when we try to work something out is we, we state what they did wrong. Well, I thought more is, what is your problem with me? Tell me, what's your problem with me? And let's... Well, it's, yeah, you're describing one kind of a problem, but, there, but the instruction is, 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 a, is across the board, so the answer needs to be across the board. Because it, I may be going to somebody, and, I'm, and they, they, they may, I might have wronged them. They might have wronged me. I mean, there's, there's a thousand variations of this. 
But the real key is that I go with the perspective of God, not the perspective that I have. Because I, if I go state my perspective, this is, what, this is what James is warning us about. If I go with my perspective, I'm, I can do real damage. But if you're going with the heart of God, and if you're going in love, I can't see that happening. Oh, I can. I have been in many of those. Standing right back there, I went in love to somebody and said, I, I need to ask you to forgive me. And the answer was abrupt, no. I will not. Sure. And it but took... you what you were supposed to do. Well, yeah, I, I did, but the reality wasn't... The reality was that the forgiveness came in that moment. So in, in my mind, it was all over. Forgiveness, forgiveness had come. Because it was God's forgiveness, it wasn't mine. But yet, the, the key in understanding that is, is in, because of the thousands of variations of what that story could actually look like, the key is the understanding that if I go, I have to go with the understanding God gives me. Right. I went to my brother and talked to him about what I saw that was going on. And we stood there in just great agreement that, it, that things would be better. They just were just never better. It wasn't better until God showed me something about him that only could have originated in God. That's what finally reconciled the problem was that God showed me so that I could see him the way God saw him. Because my perspective wasn't, even though I went with a good heart, I wanted it reconciled. I wanted it to be better. It still didn't get better until I had the perspective of God. Well, because it had to be in God's timing. Yeah. Jesse. In the middle of I'm going to have to take your word for it. Uh, I don't remember that verse, but I'll take your word for it. Okay, let's, let's continue in, in, in James chapter 4. I'm sorry, James chapter 3. So he goes through all of these situations, all these, all these, the salt water, the figs, all that kind of stuff. Verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, Without hypocrisy. Who's he describing? He's describing himself. He's describing the work of the Holy Spirit. He's describing the fruit. He's describing the fact that, that over here, I had, I had this situation in my office just recently. Somebody is, walk, is they're talking about this, this terrible fear that they're living in about their kids and about their kids not having a relationship with God and this fear that they have that maybe their kids aren't saved. And so they're living in this, they're living in this fear concerned about their children. And I asked them this question. 
what kind of God do you want them to believe in? Because what, te- what is your testimony about God showing them about God? Fear. Do what? Fear. Fear. He's a God that can't be trusted. He's a God that can't calm my fears. He's a God that I say I love, but he doesn't happen to be big enough to calm me. And so my testimony in front of my kids that I want them to trust in God, well, I'm going to have to tell them that it's a God that can't be trusted because I'm showing fear. Instead, perfect love should be casting out that fear so they're watching me walk in perfect love. And I think that's the God I want them to know. But by the very nature of us walking in this darkness, we're testifying to our children of a God that's not quite capable, that can't be trusted with our children, that can't, it's not big enough to act in, instead of living in this newness of life so that our kids see something that is dynamically different than the world. Like, how can you be happy like that? Well, because God just happens to be the happiest person I know. And his nature lives in me, so I carry the emotions of God in me. So why would I not be, within my personal life, the happiest person that you've ever met? And create in my home, create around me, hopefully this atmosphere of hope, this atmosphere of joy, this atmosphere of wonder, even around our being, simply because the the radiance of God is released through us And I don't have to do anything except let that which is of God draw men unto him. Try that when you're walking over here in this dark side trying to manage the difficulties, manage the sin, manage the negativity, manage the anxiety. See how well that works. Showing the happiest version, the happiest person in the world when we walk in that negativity. Yes, ma'am. Realize those children are God's children, and you just have to let them go and let God, you know, you pray for them, of course. Yeah, yes, ma'am. And that's what I. To- that's what I told them. Yeah. That's what I told that. That's what I told that mom. Yeah, they are. There's somebody that loves them more than you do. That's right. And He's going to handle it. Yeah. Verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I love this tone. I love what James is saying. Again, we try from the beginning to put ourselves in the place where James is, recognizing that he's writing right after the death of Jesus. He's writing when the Pharisees are still so dominantly in control and he's breaking down lots of barriers because he's heard these Pharisees speak in in those Pharisaical tones for so long and he's dismantling that in the scripture. And he's telling the people the most powerful thing you have is the tongue. Because by that you're going to, you know, one of the things that Graham Cook talked about, he says, you can't help, every one of us, you can't help but advertise what's really inside you by your actions. You advertise what, the things you believe by your tongue. You advertise the things that you believe by your actions. We are all walking advertisements. What are we going to advertise? Sin management, negativity, walking in fear, walking in anxiety. 
Again, had someone in my office recently and they said, man, I just, it's so tough. I just want to go to the doctor so bad and get something for my anxiety. Like that's dealing with the problem on the problem level. You and I as believers have an opportunity to bring something against that problem that is above the problem. Again, just think. Again, such a perfect illustration of the woman with the issue of blood. What has she done for 12 years? She dealt with the problem on the problem's level. She went to all the doctors. She took all the medications. She spent all of her money. She dealt with the problem on the problem's level until she did something so illogical, unreasonable, that had no possibility of providing a cure. She touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And in that, she brought something against her problem that was at a different level, a, a different dynamic than anything she'd tried before. Man, that's powerful. When Graham Cook talked about that, that was so powerful that we do not deal with problems on the problem's level. That's what, that's what rehab does. It tries to train better behaviors. It tries to help give you coping mechanisms, but it's dealing with the problem on the problem level. Well, you and I as believers don't have to sit around and wait and try to solve this on the problem's level when we have authority and an ability to actually speak something, live something, show something that's so dynamically different to actually bring something against the problem. James chapter 3, bridling the tongue, but it's not just stopping it. James is talking about by that same tongue, you release blessing, you release truth, and it's, it's, it transforms lives. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.